And I think we're live with our 122nd episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my ever so stylish, I love those glasses, co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. Uh, We're really excited. Uh, This is a little, it's a belated episode uh, due to... Uh, uh, Comcast, basically, <laughs> on my end last week, just decided that, you know, signals aren't important. Anyway, so uh, we're back now. We're all settled. Um, we're excited to have Professor Glass with us, Brian Glass. Uh, we've worked with Brian in the past, and we're excited to talk OWASP Top 10. Um, we had a discussion about this a couple of weeks ago. And we were in the wrong on the article where it was coming from and whether or not it was actually coming from the group that organizes the OWASP Top 10. Hence the reason we reached out to Brian. Uh, We'll post the article here shortly. And I I know after we had discussions on Slack and in other ways that the the issue has caused, uh, or that the article itself has actually caused a lot of confusion about what's going on with the OWASP Top 10 project uh, where they're currently going, and when we're going to see start seeing results in the new list form. So uh, with that, um, I don't think we have really any other announcements right now as it is, and we wanted to talk top 10. So we'll just go ahead and, and launch right into it. Uh, let me share the Wallarm article out really quick, um, if anyone hasn't read it. But this is their proposal, right? It's not necessarily a... <laughs> and, and if you look in the URL, that, that is what it says. But if you jump straight into the article, it's almost like, hey, this is what the OWASP top 10 should be, right? Yeah. Or is, uh, which is where the confusion comes about. Um, and we started talking about APIs and other things that are in that list. So, uh, Brian, right? <laughs> Get your initial take on this. Uh, you know, I know you've talked to a lot of people about it, I know you've had explanations for us. Um, but just for those that are listening or watching today, like what's happened, and then we can jump into where you guys are at and what, what's going on, how people can help. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it kind of caught us by surprise. Um, nobody had reached out to the top 10 team before that was posted. So uh, we had people go, oh, it's proposed. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, that's impressive because I'm still halfway th- chewing through data and like I'm, I'm not a proposal yet. Um, but I mean, I, it's worked really well for marketing. I don't know how much of an original intent was to cause how much confusion, um, but it did, and it did a really good job at it. So on the plus side, there's been a lot more people talking about the top 10 right now. So it's a good time for that. Um, there were a few things in it that I got kind of confused on. Um, like one of the first things that the blog article mentioned was like a opaque or a uh, not well-documented process when in 2017 we kind of turned it into one of the most well-known and documented OWASP project processes so you know because we went into we published you know across blog posts we published in github uh, the process is published in the document itself and Andrew Vanderstock did it in a couple of trainings and talks and I had a talk that I did on a number of conferences that talked about the process and then all the other things that happened 
related to data because in honest in all honesty in the document itself in the top 10 document we only have like a page that talks about like the data analysis and the process um, so we're, we'll probably expand that this time around um, just to help people understand like where is it coming from what did we do with it and we also inherited like it partway through so this year we get to do like the entire sequence for 2021. So we can, we're making some improvements and some enhancements for that. Yeah. We should back up Seth and just point out, you know, the history, the brief history, don't need to go in a long one, but just the, cause I know we've talked about this before, but it's good to recap. It's just that, you know, there was a proposal for the, for the, for the, I think it was, the, it was the last one, right? On the last one, there was a lot of contention around it. Uh, and it, it, there wasn't clear, like, you know, where the data came from or, you know, how, how basically how it was being formed and drafted upon you and a few others. But I mean, you really like came in and to your credit, uh, really made this a data centric uh, list of vulnerabilities um, versus a, like may, maybe more nebulous sort of like, how is that happening? How is this being formed? It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was good. And he helped fashion and kind of, I, I don't want to like, I don't think it's too bad to say you kind of saved it. <laughs> you probably don't want to say that out loud, but I'll say it, you know? No, I mean, there's a team so. of four of us and it takes four. Sure. This is not a lightweight thing. Um, but yeah, I, I got pulled into it because when all of that went down, there was a lot of mudslinging and a yeah. lot of really unhappy people. And it was backlashing in the OWASP. Um, and I, I got tired of all the negativity. So I decided to look at the data itself and then had written a couple blog posts on, you know, what could the data tell us and not tell us that we had already. Um, and then the, the project leadership kicked over and Andrew Vanderstock, um, was asked to step in and he took it on. Um, then we, we added Torsten and Neil, and then they asked me to come help with the data part because of the blog posts and the looking at the data. So we took it, um, we built on it, and then we decided to try and make it as transparent as possible. You can go back through, when we published the draft uh, from the extended data call and everything, we had 394 issues in GitHub that we worked through publicly and like responded to folks. And everybody didn't get what they wanted or what they thought needed to be corrected, but we at least could go in there and say yes and PCUT and this is why or no and this is why. Because at the end of the day, it's still on four of us to make the decisions on how it's going to go. But I mean, it's a challenging project. It has multiple hats at this point. So the top 10 started as an awareness document and now it's that plus a pseudo standard plus a benchmark for vendors. So surprisingly enough, those all don't gel together. <laughs> yeah, they do not. So, I was, I, I mean, actually, like I've been doing um, just some like AppSec 101, like fundamentals training recently. And this has been a big discussion point that we've had as we're introducing people to the OWASP top 10. As I keep hearkening back to, guys, this is an awareness document. This is not a comprehensive list of vulnerabilities mm -hmm. and we shouldn't be viewing it as such. Like I'm, I'm trying to give that caveat to people that are getting into the industry, but it's really hard because people latch on to that. Oh, these are the 10 things I need to worry about. And then they move on. 
Um, and so like, and I know, you know, I, I always go back to, wait, should I basically be basing my training around these 10 things? Um, because it's really hard to teach somebody like absolute fundamentals when you're like, Hey, we're going to talk about XXE. And I'm like, yeah, it's important, but it's not like, this is not a fundamental piece that you're going to run into in a lot of situations. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's where I'm like, I go back and forth personally on, uh, maybe we should, you know, you know, take a step back, but it, it helps to frame the conversation and they're going to hear it. Right. Yeah. The last top 10, they're going to hear about it with, you know, when the next vendor comes up and uh, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. It has yeah. a lot of influence for better or worse. Yeah, and the part that that I try and remember is it it's language generally language agnostic, framework agnostic, technology agnostic. So yeah, you may be working as a developer in a language that two or three of these don't apply to you because thankfully the language of the framework you're using prevent it from ever coming up. That's awesome, but I don't really I don't make a top ten for Java and a top ten for Node and a top ten for Angular and a top ten for Ruby and Go and Scala and like how many dozens of languages do I want to make a top 10 for? Um, so, but then it's also like, I also work on the OWASP SAM project and like the top 10 gets like this massive amount of attention. Like this is the start of the top 10 and the top 10 is like a fraction of a security activity of the scope of SAM. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And it's great. Yeah. It, it's amazing that awareness. I, I love that people have something to latch onto to start with, but I have to keep emphasizing you can start with it. But the thing that kills me is if we were actually good at starting with this, it would A, change more often, and B, not quite in because people would actually fix this stuff. Yeah. But we've gotten what? We have this would, would they though, Brian? Would they? So, and that goes back to um, part of the reason why I've gone to work at Microsoft for a while, right? So you can't create languages that give you the chance to trip yourself up all the time and then be like, well, shoot, developer, that's your fault. Um, it's like a bad design on an airplane and the pilot, you know, one out of 20 pilots crash and it's like, and you're like, oh, human error. But in reality, you could make the system better so that the pilot's far less likely to actually make that mistake. And we won't eliminate some of these things until we can get the languages and the frameworks to actually not give you the ability to screw up like that or make it super difficult where you have to seriously opt in, flip off a bunch of flags, add other flags so that you can actually enable that kind of vulnerability. Yeah, it's a... I don't know. It's we always we always come back to this like one true framework, as I like to call it, right? The you know this you know at some point we're gonna have this you know magical framework that will you know we won't. No, I know, I know, I know we won't. People but, will still know. opt out of it. Yeah, you, you won't. So people because... still use dangerously set inner HTML, right? You know. Yeah. Well, they're still yeah. People are creative, yeah. so they want the ability to do what they think is right. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't give it to them, somebody will be smart enough to write a way around it. Um, and plus, and then we also, and, and it kills me as a security person, but we're only one piece of the pie. 
So you have many other pieces when it comes to it. So we have to fight for our position. We, you know, fight for some attention and a little bit of piece of the pie and some recognition. But at the end of the day, we're just a piece of the puzzle. And yeah. I, I, you know, and that's funny. I think you, I, I like, I think you mean this more as like security in general and not like a person. But I always tell people, when asked about career advice, I'm always like, go to a place that already values security and that you don't have to fight champion, you know, for it. Because like, you know, unless that's your thing and you're into it and then you love that frustration and you're just that, <laughs> that's just your personality. Yep. Do you, but otherwise probably go to somewhere where you have like support right away. But I know you meant more generically, like just yep. as like, you know, absolutely. You're right. AppSec's one small part, but going back to how this document's used, I mean, I think it was like, even as recent as maybe four, four years ago that I was looking at the uh, PCI standards. And when they talk about like the type of uh, training that you have to undergo um, and they talk about the, it's not just training. It's like the things in your SDL that you have to like look out for mm -hmm. the OWASP top 10 is repeatedly refer or was repeatedly referenced. And it's like, how do you get away with that or get away from that when there are three different, like you said, three different major use, use cases and probably a dozen more smaller use cases. Yeah. We probably wouldn't even, you would be like, why is it even being used like that or for <laughs> that purpose? But it's gotta well, be difficult. Do you have people like from, those i'm just curious do you have like any organizations from like governing bodies coming to you you know asking either you know for advice or to give you trying to give you input or how does that work uh not really um i had so far what i've seen is they just pick it and use it um oh. we haven't really had people come and say do you think this is a good idea for us to reference this in this way um, and some of it, I think, is also historical. But I mean, it's kind of become the measuring stick for vendors. So when we work on a top 10, um, we're trying to figure out, and we get flack for the top 10 categories of risk, vulnerability, whatever you want to yeah. call it, right? Because they vary. And we get away with that because we're an awareness document. They don't all have to be at exactly the same tier, right? So uh, I want to just... I made something I was going to show you all, um, yes. if I can share. Sweet. Visuals. Yes, I made you a visual. Uh, let's see. Do I get a share? Oh, I have a share button. Mm -hmm. Share screen. Sharing is works with two monitors. Cool. Are you? Oh, good. You'll let me pick the other one. That's good. <laughs> I'm going to add, add that all to right. the stream. Can you all... Do I get to share? Can you see that? I'm actually trying to switch views. Oh, no. no now it's not. frozen. That's awesome. Um, yeah, you're frozen. It's trying to load. It's thinking. Yep. There, there we go. go. Yep. Sweet. Do you see it now? All right. Yes. So I made a pseudo Venn diagram. And I say pseudo because there's caveats in it. Um. <laughs> So I get a lot of flack from people and I was one of them before I started as well in terms of the overlap between different categories in the top 10. Um, I will give you technically there is no overlap because we define what CWEs are in each of them and there is no CWE in multiple ones. However, nobody looks at that detail. <laughs> they look <laughs> at the names. Um, and the other part that stems 
so I went through and I tried to draw this. Um, and I was trying to figure out, I was like, hey, which ones do we kind of have overlap? Now, technically, you could say, and there's always exceptions, and this is the tough part about writing a document at this level. In like cross-site scripting, for instance, you can have the vast majority of cross-site scripting has very minimal impact. You can craft particularly nasty cross-site scripting. It's probably stored and it probably has a very unique function um, that you can make a cross-site scripting really high or critical. However, those are the extreme minority of all of the cross-site scriptings. So I generally, I, I can't count it. I can't make them all that way. Um, but cross-site scripting in general, I would consider content injection, which means to me- Thank you. Part of injection. Yeah. So- Yes. I have it. Clap for Brian on that. Please, <laughs> let's lobby for con content so, injection. So, so there's a sub, so I can view it. There's a way of viewing it as it is a subset of injection. And it may, and we'll look at the data this year. We'll look at the, the way things are going and then we'll decide whether or not, because again, it's an awareness document and we get away with this. If there still needs to be a focus on cross-site scripting and they're, you know, and it's really evident, then it may be its own separate, but it might be part of injection after this cycle. Um, and that's something we have to decide, you know, what would benefit the industry best, having it separate and called out separately or having it part of injection and kind of buried with a bunch of, you know, ONGLs, ELs, command, SQL, you know, because injection is a problem. It, it's a big problem. Uh, we, it's tough to deal with. But then I started looking at like how do other things relate to each other? Um, and then I realized that even if you draw this in a Venn diagram, it's not a two-way street. And to me, the reason why I've drawn it this way is really has to do with how we assign a category to a vulnerability. So we have a tendency to assign the symptom and not necessarily the root cause. So you can have vulnerabilities. A lot of the sensitive data exposure vulnerabilities, that's a symptom category yep. that itself is not a vulnerability that's the result of some vulnerability being exploited so sensitive data exposures may have come from broken authentication they may have come from a misconfiguration that may have come from broken access control and so that's why i drew the arrows that way because it won't go the other way you won't have broken access control that came from sensitive data exposure or you won't have misconfiguration that came from sensitive data exposure <laughs> So there's a reason why like misconfiguration can contribute to a number of other vulnerabilities because many times it's the root cause of those other vulnerabilities. We just don't dig deep enough and actually assign that moniker or that title to it. So that's why, you know, I have it drawn this way. The other thing that I run into is people like to put all of this into A9. Uh, like all of it is in A9. When in I'm reality, like oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's arrows that A9 is connected, right? So a lot of these types are could be part of somebody's third-party code that you inherited. But all of the other ones are typically first-party code or configuration problems. You can get that type of vulnerability in third-party code, but you usually handle it differently differently. Some people go as far as they'll take a third-party library. They'll be like, all right, I'm taking responsibility. I'm going to take the source. I'm going to fix the problem. I'll recompile it and use my custom version of said library. 
it's few and far between in my experience. So I don't like the perception that like you lump all of it into known vulnerabilities. It's the same part of the same reason why like we don't have APIs because there's a top 10 for APIs. So in the general top 10, I don't need a category for all of these problems in an API because somebody else started up and maintains a project that says this is the OWASP top 10 for APIs. So I don't need to step in that turf. But I'm curious what you guys think of this because I was going through trying to figure out some way to graphically represent. And this is again by name, not necessarily by technical definition in the document of what CWEs we included in these categories. Yeah, so like going just through the one flow of uh, sensitive data exposure as a result of security misconfiguration as all kind of pointing to using a known vulnerable component like and i'm not yeah because like this isn't really never mind i i would say like uh because i was trying to draw a conclusion of like okay well sometimes you have third-party code that includes configurations that you can do incorrectly but ultimately is not the responsibility of a third-party library but that's you know we're talking about drawing a line from so let's just stick with like security misconfiguration and sensitive data exposure or um, broken access control equaling sensitive data exposure. Like that totally makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I think I'm lacking on the, I think what you're saying though, is that so for instance, insecure deserialization can totally happen because a library is doing deserialization insecurely. Um, well, same yeah. with, yeah, yeah, pretty much all of these really, I guess you could, yeah, you're right. I mean, all of these could you, really trying to think won't... through it, but yeah. You generally, from my perception, you won't find insufficient logging and monitoring in a library. I mean, maybe, but that's more on, that's more of a first party problem. Yeah. That's you and your code. Um, misconfigurations, again, that's you configuring something. Um, but broken authentication, sensitive data exposure, access control, XXEs, deserializations, injections, those all could manifest themselves out of a third-party library. There are times when, so like to be clear, because obviously like you could be using an intern, like Seth and I have definitely seen this for like an internal libraries being used, but it was developed within the company and that does like centralized whatever, like user management or authentication or whatever. And then that has the exception handling built in and audit auditing abilities like mm -hmm. baked into it. But that was, that, I guess you couldn't really consider that third party code since it is developed in house. It's not like, basically it's not an NPM package. It's not a egg. It's not a gem or, or something like that or a NuGet package or whatever. Yeah. That, I, mean, I mean, it's interesting that, that, that we flowed to that. Cause I, I didn't realize, I mean, I didn't realize that a lot of people would classify everything under a nine um, because I've always viewed it from that lens brand where it's okay. This is third-party code. Like I've got the custom code that I'm looking at from the organization. And if, if I find a flaw in one of the libraries or frameworks that they're using, it's typically because, Hey, it's a known flaw that's out there. I'll document it under known vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. but I'm going to classify you know, the, the issue is something other, right? Like the, the way that you mitigate it is going to be different because you're not going to go in and fix some custom 
fix somebody else's library, you're going to go to them and say, Hey, give me the updated version. Right. That's, you know, I, I mean, I guess you could go fork it and do all that stuff, especially the open source, but realistically, you know, nobody's going to do that. I, I mean, the other interesting thing that you're bringing up is the whole kind of, um, source of the the OWASP top 10 or the, I mean, the values that we sign, right? Like, is this a coding flaw or is this an exploit? Is it an attack, right? Um, and we, we use the name like cross-site scripting and injection are not necessarily, like, that's not the coding flaw that we're dealing with there. Right? Um, yeah, yeah. And then you have sensitive data exposure, which is absolutely an outcome of something. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, we definitely run the gamut. Most of the sensitive data exposure, if you look at the CWEs associated with it, they're almost all crypto C CWEs. Mm-hmm. But, and, and that's... That's but technically, you could be even doing encryption and everything correctly, and you could just be like, the one place you fall down is when you maybe I've seen this before, before where you send a response. I, I'm sure all three of us have seen this more than once where, you know, a response comes back with some sensitive data and JavaScript obfuscates it by putting some asterisks over it. But that data still came back in the raw form, yep. you know, and then maybe that, that's probably the, the only case. Well, I'm sure there's some little cases like that where there's just a mismanagement of like how you're handling that data, but it isn't necessarily like, a cryptography problem, right? I mean, yeah, just where you're doing the cryptography. Well, I mean, <laughs> operations. Yeah, you run into the same thing when you're looking at the names of CWEs, though, as well, right? So there's no there's no standard whether it's like the the root cause or it's the outcome. Just kind of depended on who wrote the CWE and what they were yeah. thinking about when they did it. So even though CWEs are more comprehensive, you still run into that same issue. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's well over a thousand CWEs mm-hmm. and it's, are there flaws in them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, is AppSec ridiculously complicated? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's yeah. no, I mean, I mean, we don't have a clean standard and I don't th- not sure we can create one with the level of complexity that we have in software now. And well, and the other problem we have is like, I've, I've talked Amen to people to that. like, there's no CWE for clickjacking. Well, there is. It just was worded in a way that it was actually referencing the root cause for clickjacking. And it took, and people wouldn't find it because they were just search, doing a text search for clickjack. Um, they've, they eventually updated the text and stuff so that it had clickjacking in parentheses because like people couldn't find it. But we also run into the problem where if we did build CWEs that were all legitimate root cause, there's a translation layer that a lot of people are missing and they won't understand what that actually applies to. Because you also have a decent percentage of people in this industry that they deal with more of the symptom and they don't trace back the root cause and they they may or may not understand like, oh, this is a confused deputy. Because I run into this too, like when we do threat modeling or I do uh, a SAM assessment and I go back to like secure design principles and they're like, what are those? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, and, and I'll give them a list. And there was an OWASP project for a little bit. It's kind of died 
um, related to secure design principles. Most of the time for me to go find a list, a decent list of secure design principles, I'm looking back into research done in the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, because we don't really talk about it that way. And so mm -hmm. you're talking about like economy of mechanism and people are like, what? <laughs> Separation of duties, least privilege. And you've got all these things and they're just like, stop using academic terms. Tell me what you're talking about. <laughs> well, okay. Right. Like well, I, that's I the easy button, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wants the easy button. Well, and that's why the top 10 initially took off. Right. And even PCI, punch that easy button and it's like, oh, we just include these. Look at this. Yeah. Look at this. We've already got compliant. We don't have to worry about this rather than talking about, you know, what is it that really makes secure software? Um, yeah. I, but, but I always go back and forth, like teaching these courses, like talking to people about like the, you know, AppSec principles and like, I, I don't know. I, like I, I love the OS top 10 because it has driven the industry so much further along, but it feels like we have huge gaps in people's knowledge of what really goes into mm -hmm. secure, secure design. Um, right. Like even just the fact, like I, when I bring up like triple a and, and Ken knows this, cause that's like my favorite thing, right. When we're it in is, this, yeah. it is, I base everything on it because I'm like, this actually like covers multiple principles and all of these vulnerabilities can fall under one of these controls. Um, and I can make the argument for most vulnerabilities under like basically any control that's out there between the AAA, like the authentication authorization auditing, and then the CIA triads, right? Mm -hmm. Everything, everything falls into one of those, but the research, like you said, um, comes from this. Yeah. 60s, 70s, um, it's books that I studied in college, you know, 25 years ago that were written 20 years before that uh, and like have never been updated oh, or, you know, if they have, it's, it's only Stefan that wants to talk about it. Right. Like, let's be honest. It's, you know, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's yeah. a space that we've surprisingly, it, it might be out there and I just don't see it. I just don't see movement in that space. Well, and but that surprises me, Brian, and actually you can as well, because Brian, like you guys work for Microsoft, and there's been a lot of academic papers that come out of that space, you know, related to data scientists or computer scientists mm -hmm. that work for Microsoft. Um, but it's not, it's not necessarily at that same level, right? So I don't know yeah. if there would be anybody else that would be doing it. I mean, I think, and they do a lot. And I worked with Microsoft Research and there was some great stuff that a lot of those guys worked on, but that wasn't as much of a focus for them. They had other things that they had to focus on. Um, I just haven't seen a lot of it. Same reason why, like, I will beat this drum every year and I want to one day figure out how to have a survey about the cost of vulnerabilities in different stages of development. The last time we had a real survey for that and we had a real study done was like 2001 when NIST did it. Um, Everything from then you can trace is different variants and interpretations of that data that different people have made since then. But that's 20 years ago. That was early waterfall days. It would be interesting. Do you plug in any bug bounty companies like HackerOne or Bug? crowd any of their data because the reason I say that is I was thinking when you were talking about like the cost is that just going back in my memory bank 
anecdotally maybe from do having done bounty triage, <laughs> which I haven't done in like, I don't know, six months or something like that, but I don't really remember, but it's something like that. And, uh, but anyways, so that's probably three years of data that to, to draw upon in my memory. And I would say the most costly phones, believe it or not, are just usually some form of authorization. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it might be like a logic flaw in the way that it presents itself, like a multi-step thing, but like, ultimately that's what it boils down to is just some, some one line of authorization check that wasn't done correctly or call correctly or whatever, you know? Uh, so anyways, like, I, I mean, just, and I'm just curious. So let's go back to the original question. Cause I threw a lot in there data sources. Yeah. Like our, uh, yeah. So our bug bounty for either, either from the companies or from like people that use bug, like have bounty programs. I don't know if that, any of that data. Is so we have, um, or even makes sense for it. I'm not sure here. I'll actually flip this. Um, I'll use it as a segue. So we actually have a project site now. Oh, OWASPtop10.org. Spelled out, not numbers. OWASPtop10.org. Top 10 um, with numbers was taken? Is that? No, I just like the word better. I think it's more aesthetically pleasing. Um, Got it. Okay. So <laughs> we put that out there basically because we don't we didn't really have a platform to talk to people, per se. So you got Twitter, where if you don't catch it on a particular day and time, you don't see it. Um, we don't really have a blog platform. I mean, the main OWASP site does, but I'm not going to litter it up with a bunch of project stuff. Um, that's more for larger announcements of releases and such. Um, and Slack hit and miss, you may or may not find it. There's not a, you know, there's, there's a fraction of people looking at the OWASP Slack, um, that pay attention to the top 10. Um, so basically we built it's there's not a ton to it, but um, I've got a bit of a summary here. We talk about how the data's broken down, why we do things the way we do, what's our process. Um, there's that, that little picture I drew. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Nice. Um, and then we also talk about survey, and I'll talk about that in a second too, on top of the data and why we actually do both. Um, and then there's a little bit of the process in terms of we walk through and resources that we're still filling out, project sites, GitHubs, and that kind of stuff. So the data that you asked, so we have last last time, almost said last year, it feels like it. <laughs> last time yeah, right? we had like 115,000 apps worth of data from a bunch of different companies. We had bug bounty companies in there. We had tool companies. We had companies that shared their internal data. Um, we had the full gambit. Um, and then if you remember, we went away from frequency because I can't stand frequency because frequency, things like cross-site scripting dominate everything. Because yeah. when cross-site scripting is an actual problem, you can have, I've seen 8,000 instances in a single app. Yep. It you destroys could, any other data. Yeah, you could have like just one part of like the header that gets added on every page that's vulnerable. And then like every page is like yep. you said, 8,000 results. Yeah. So and you yeah. can't, and this stemmed from the initial analysis I did of the original 2017 data is you cannot attempt to merge or normalize human generated findings with tool generated findings. If you deal with frequency, 
because you might as well just ignore the human generated findings at that point. They'll be completely drowned out in volume because again, humans will find a few say, Hey, by the way, my time's too expensive to find every one. You have a problem here and they move on. Tools couldn't care less. As long as you give them power, they will hunt down every single stinking instance of something that they're programmed to find. So I can't merge that data with each other. So we went incidence rate. So incidence rate was what percentage of the population has exhibited one or more instances of this problem. So now if, if I've got a large testing company and they've tested a ton of applications, I don't care if like they found cross-site scripting 2.3 million times, I can see that it only happened in like 27% of the applications they tested. That to me, I can use. And now I can compare that to human generated data where the humans were like, hey, we're a little better at that still. And we found it in like 60% of the data. Um, I'm making, those numbers are rough approximations. I don't remember from four years ago. Oh, but it's the no same one's holding your feet to the fire on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just try to make it clear. Like when I mess with data, if I'm making something up, I try to be clear that I'm making it up at that point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. But so we, we do it that way. So we drive incidence rate. Um, and so it's, it's an epidemiology or term from epidemiology um, where you're looking at incidence rate and you're trying to figure out what percentage of the population exhibits a particular problem. Um, and we're doing that again this time. Um, this time we're doing it a little differently. Um, the one we inherited in 2017, the data call um, listed a preset set of CWEs and said, send data for these CWEs. And if you want to send data for other CWEs, go ahead. But this is the preset list that we're looking at. This time, for better or worse, and I'm almost regretting it based on what I've gotten from people, um, I said, just send me what you found. I want all the CWEs because I'm really curious about what people were finding that weren't part of a prescribed list. And so the other thing is, is um, not everybody does their vulnerability findings against CWEs. Different people have different opinions on whether or not that's useful. So it ends up forcing them to map to CWEs to be able to submit data. But I also have a few that like I've offered to help. Like if they have vulnerability names, then I can do some rough approximations of given that name, it's typically assigned this type of CWE. I see enough of the data, I can generally map them with a relative degree of accuracy. Um, and then the goal is to go through and look at the patterns in that data. So similar to like da sensitive data exposure, there's like six or eight crypto related CWEs in there. Because people, they're not, there's not a lot of clarity between some of those. And people have a tendency to use one versus the other, like 326 versus 327 versus 320 versus, you know, and so... Um, so sometimes I have to group CWEs together because they're part of the same family. And it's the same concept or the same core problem, but that just manifests itself in a little bit different ways. It goes back to what you were saying about not all CWEs are actually titled based on root cause. Some of them are more the symptom of the cause. So are we talking about when you do that and you create those groupings, are we talking about like tens, hundreds of groups that you're trying to, filter thing like like that you end up with like i don't know some spreadsheet or something of ask me in a month 
<laughs> I honestly would love to see the, so, um, I, and I know you do, you do provide usually that, but the raw bits, but, uh, in fact, I have seen actually, I think a Google spreadsheet that you uh-huh. put together of, of, of this. Um, yeah, I didn't, 20- I don't recall. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. What was that? No, you're good. I did that in 2017. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, I laid it all out. And so this time I've also committed that any decisions I make to like group things, um, I'm documenting so that, you know, like this was my decision process when I came up and said, Hey, the data represents this, these are any kind of normalization decisions I had to make in it. Um, but so far, I mean, I still have a few people, um, that I'm waiting on. Um, you, apparently you have to talk to legal before you share vulnerability data from your company <laughs> for some people, uh, you know, unfortunately I wish it was just like, sure, here you go. Um, and for some people it is, but we also have an option, like we're setting it up that I'll have the raw data, but I've decoupled it. Like I know who contributed it, but I'm not going to assign a name to the data. So we give people who submit it the option, like you can have your name listed that your data is in the group, or you can choose to commit data, but we won't list that your name is actually in there. So that you you can contribute data. And we have a few people that did that. They contributed data. I know who they are, but they're not going to be listed anywhere because that was too much of a liability for them. And I get it. I understand that. We're, you know, different companies have different risk appetites, and that's a whole nother topic. But um, yeah, so I mean, I think it is fair to say though that if like you're uh I don't know, like a like LexisNexis or something, and you've got like you know, you, you know that you've got like this, the struts issue or something, mm-hmm. you know, like everywhere within your company, it, you know, I, I get why that would be an issue. Like being like, Hey, we've got <laughs> 10,000 struts, security yep. misconfiguration slash, you know, probably a couple other categories that falls under. Uh, yeah. And they wouldn't want that. So I get that. That makes sense. Well, I had the, the same thing when the 2017 came out because the first part of the 2017 process, it was the 2016 process. Mm-hmm. And because it ended up stretching out over well over a year, I was working at Microsoft at the time. And I was like, hey, let's contribute. And I gotten all the way to the point where it was cleaned up and I was ready to submit. And I was like, one last double check, make sure legal doesn't like go hunt me down and take my head for doing this. Um, and they're like, well, you know, there's somewhere around half a million findings. And these were things like they tested internally that were found and they were fixed because like that was the criteria. These were all the things that we found before going to production. They were fixed. So they didn't represent any live vulnerabilities. And they were still like, you know what? If that data gets out, somebody just has to write a blog post that says, look how terrible and crappy Microsoft security is because they had half a million vulnerabilities pre-production, da, 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 da. So it never happened. And I get it. And it only takes a few people to ruin good things for the rest of us. <laughs> and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not referring to the lawyers. I'm referring to the people that like to write the posts that say this company's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I think we've all kind of. I, I mean, well, that's the, that's the hard all, thing in the position that you're yeah. in, right? Is that this like everybody wants to be to be transparent, but just not in my backyard, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, but, yeah. But show, me. show me the data that you use to build this list. But, you know, I don't want to give you my data because then you would like, and so like, yeah, making it relevant becomes a hard, hard thing. I, I mean, I like the idea of being able to decouple the, yeah. the stuff that you guys are using because 
doing um because at that point we just trust in the four of you to actually do that decoupling um and hopefully no one will you know target <laughs> that too heavily right well, volunteers and, all that and i want to like i want to make it available because i want the process to be as transparent as possible but it can't be 100 percent transparent or nobody contributes I have the exact same problem with Sam Benchmark. I get a ton of companies that show up and they're like, hey, can you compare our data to somebody else? Is there a pool of other people's data? I'm like, there will be when you contribute your data to this pool so that we have a pool that people can contribute. Well, I can't really contribute, but let me know when you get enough stuff that I can compare mine to other people. <laughs> I was like, it doesn't but, work that way. That Somebody way. has to be willing to contribute. Yeah, there, there needs to be that trusted third party. I mean, I, I know there's... Like, especially on the, like, this goes back to like financial fraud side of things, right? They have basically industry organizations that are third parties that do this, right? Yep. They form up and it's okay. You want to know what everybody else is doing and what, where the fraud is happening. You have to give your data as well, or you don't get to play. Right. Yep. And, and we've had those. yeah, we've had those discussions. Yep. I mean, it's not something we can do for the top 10 because the top 10 is not for companies. They're really more for people. Where yeah. We're trying to make it's for public consumption. Um, so it, it is an interesting challenge. So from my position, now that I'm like, I'm not a company, I don't have something to sell you unless you want to send your kids to get a four year degree in cybersecurity, then I'm happily <laughs> you somewhere. Um, but like, I'm about back getting be- my son. <laughs> <laughs> give it time, Ken, give it time. Yeah. Uh, I've I'm about as neutral third parties I can get, right? So I'm now a professor who doesn't have like direct ties to anything specifically. I'm not selling a product, I'm trying to work for a nonprofit with this project. So I'm trying to be as much as possible a trustworthy neutral third party. And so, cause we, we need that data because that way we can tell where, what are we doing well and what aren't we doing well? And the other unique thing about this data so you have things like CVEs, you have the Volner's databases, you have this stuff. Um, all of that's typically like post-production vulnerability data that we found somebody found in the wild. It's usually part of like some reasonably sized software product, um, has to go through some criteria to get a CVE and then be assigned stuff, um, gets a CVSS score, stuff like that. Most of the data we get for the top 10 is more likely to be pre-production data. It's stuff that was part of a testing cycle. So it's data that Ah. may not exist anywhere else. So it's data that like from contributing companies. So if we have larger tool companies, um, they may use data to publish their own like annual report but they give us the data. So we get probably the most comprehensive collection of internal data from the widest variety of sources that anybody really gets to analyze and report on. And that's my hope that it keeps growing year after year. So last year we had 115,000 apps represented. We're over twice that this year. And I hope it keeps growing. Yeah, that's the part of going back to, you know, having this this list being used in multiple ways. I mean, that that is the fact that some of these vulnerabilities are pre-prod caught ahead of time and then some are post-prod. There's different value in where mm-hmm. a, 
a vulnerability manifest and, and yeah, to what degree you would use that based off of at what point in the development life cycle it, uh, it came, it came into existence. And so that's gotta be like the hardest part of having a list that is maybe not voluntarily uh, used in uh, numerous ways. And then of course you have to, and this is the other thing that I, I just want to say, like, thank you for doing this. Cause it's a lot of hard work and you take, yeah. and you take, you know, the project takes a lot of flack, like you said, and a lot of scrutiny because of this, because no one's, no one's decided on the, the like proper use case for it. You know, <laughs> you are really catering to too many audiences uh, as a byproduct, not, not per, you know, how else are you going to do it? Yeah. Um, well, plus then- you're trying to get, you're trying to get people from various organizations to give you this data when that could be a problem or not be a problem mm-hmm. and could require an amount of time to, to yeah, it's just such so many variables and like, uh, just for what it's worth. Yeah. And, and then I'm weird and I ask for incident <laughs> rates. So that means you have to know your application population. And yeah. you remember in 2017 bug crowd committed and they're like, look, we're in neck and neck with hacker one, but we feel it's the right thing to do. Even like if there is some actual risk to the company for doing this, they have some of the most accurate data. Bug bounty data is some of the most accurate data that you can get because somebody ponied up for it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But keeping and it's post prod typically, unless it's a private bounty yeah. program, and and that is there. There's some like value in that too. Mm-hmm. And like, what's a private, you know, pre shipped GA bounty item, and what's a this was in the wild, you know? Yeah. Um, but the biggest problem that Bug Crowd had is because of the way their stuff structured, they don't know the population of apps that are under it. Like it's not always, you don't always come up with an agreement for a bug bounty program that says there are 12 apps under this contract. There are 15 apps. Cause sometimes it's like domains and like, depending on how the contracts are structured for bug bounties, there's not necessarily a count of apps in there. Ooh. And so it made it a challenge. Yeah. So how so, did you solve that? You, yeah, because Sorry. they yeah. usually... No, I mean, to, to add on You're to right. that, adding on the scope, because the like you could, the reason I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. I figured it gets it. Yeah, no, because this is really getting me thinking because like you, because with bounty programs, you typically have a scope, right? <laughs> but like it's few and I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm just making this up, but from what I've seen, it's not, unless it's like a Synac, if it's on a bug crowd or a hacker one, it's like these domains asterisk. Right. Like anything under that versus, and there are also programs that are very specific in what sites that you could pull from, but like, yeah, it's, but I kind of only, sorry, going forward even further with that, that would even be an issue because there would be instances where somebody found something. It wasn't in scope, but it definitely like was like, Oh, Hey, yeah, we probably shouldn't leave this random ass site. I don't even like, didn't even know it was, like out there and yes, it's not technically in scope, but we didn't know is even out there and you found something critical in it. So it's like, oh, the, the, the considerations <laughs> you got to make this data. Well, it's insane. Well, that, and if you're testing an app based on a URL and a domain and you find a vulnerability, is it the web app side? Is it the middle tier side? I mean, which of the many apps on that whole chain is it actually part of? So yeah, the, they're like, I, 
I don't know. So I basically did what I could do and I took whatever had the highest count and I said, I know there's at least this many apps. If they have, you know, the whatever the biggest number is like 635 or something, I think I'd have to go back and look. Um, I was like, I know there's at least this many apps. If I pick a number any higher, it's a pure guess. So I basically just, I had to pick that number. Yeah. Because, and, and I have to do this sometimes with the data because one of the hardest things about data analysis is getting clean data. And I still don't know things like how many of these are retests? You know, how many, you know, what kind of duplication do I have in here? What kind of validation do I have in here? And I'm abstracted to the point that I just don't know. And so I have to balance with like, what's enough information I can ask for somebody to contribute that's not an onerous task. I can't ask I can't ask you to spend two to three person months worth of effort to get me this data. You know, that's a real struggle on your side for whether or not there's an ROI to that. Yeah, there's very I very highly doubt you'll find a security manager who's like, this is my highest priority right now. <laughs> like yeah. definitely not the okay. case. <laughs> so usually, right? Depends yeah. on the so I have to bug you and I have to, I have to be like, can you please send me this data? If you need any help, let me know. Like I will do some of the stuff for you, which again is like, I always hate myself after I do that. And they send me this data and they're like, here, can you clean this up for us? I was like, yeah. I said I'd do that, didn't I? But I need the data, so I do. Um, but do you end up like... Do you end up like writing macros or what do you, how do you even deal with that? It depends. Um, If I can get it to the point, then I could write a macro. A lot of times it's just manual by hand Mm. because like I don't trust what something might do. If I automate it too early before I've seen enough of it manually, then I could inadvertently trash stuff that I had no intention to trash. Mm, But now that Excel is a full-blown programming language, Turing complete with (laughs) Lambda functions, you know? Hey, all bets are off. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Excel batches, proof it out. (laughs) So Excel AI into it. Got it. Oh, yeah, totally. Excel has this unique distinction that it can be a file, a programming language, and an application all at the same time. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. And, 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 and it's the reason we care about CSV injection, you know, yes. one of the primary reasons Excel. Yep. Um, so the one other thing I wanted to, to talk about is, so the other big thing about what we've done with the data is we also have to recognize we only get data in certain situations. We only get data for vulnerabilities that a humans know how to find B have written tests to find again and C, have gotten those tests in enough pipelines, tools, and stuff that there's any measurable data. So there's a lag time between when we figure out there's a particular type of vulnerability and when we actually get reasonably decent at testing for it. So you could argue that any data I get for the top 10 is actually looking in the past. It's looking behind us. It might be years behind us to be able to get that data accumulation. So in 2017, we made the decision that eight of the 10 come from data and two of the 10 come from survey because Mm -hmm. humans have a more, a better understanding of what's present, what's hot, what's, you know, there, but we're not really good at testing for. And so that worked out actually surprisingly well. And for the 2017 top 10, we had 550 people fill out a survey 
and they went through the survey. They gave us some basic like demographic information because we were really curious, like who actually filled out the survey, what was their backgrounds and stuff. Right. We really wanted a good understanding of what the population was that we were getting the data from. Um, but we had them rank uh, of these CWEs or groups of CWEs. We had them rank their top four, one, two, three, and four. So that way we could balance them out. Um, so it wasn't just like pick your most favorite, but we could see patterns in there in terms of like pick your top four of your highest priorities from your perspective. Um, so we're doing it again for 2021, but I'm doing, I'm adding one more thing to it. And so that is, I, I wrote the blog post on this site. So I wrote a post to try and describe what my process was for it. So we took the survey from last time. Um, these were the results in terms of like exposure of private information. Um, so some of these ended up being included in some of the data-driven categories so that we still counted them, um, but they weren't like completely standalone. So out of that, out of the survey for 2017, we ended up with insecurity serialization and insufficient logging and monitoring, which I'm fine with because that was the point. We asked the community what was important to you, and those were the top two things after we work through the data that were important. And to be honest, insufficient logging and monitoring is a hard thing to test for. We know as humans that this is a problem because we see it. But it's also very difficult to write tests to say, hey, this is insufficient because it's one of those weird things. And again, that that's one of those things that something like that makes it hard for the top 10 to be a vendor baseline. Because yeah. how do you test for this with a tool? So... Then we work through, so also in the survey, we said, hey, what might need to be included in the next top 10? Like what wasn't in the survey? What do you think might be coming up? So I got a number of different responses. So I gleaned through them all and, and I listed them out, um, all of the one, grouped them a little bit. Um, some of them are already in the 2017, some are in the API top 10 2019. My favorite one was one does not simply predict top 10 of vulnerability categories for three years ahead. <laughs> the best answer. Not for everyone to answer that next time, but that one won. That's so then I also went for this, this survey, I went to the SANS top 25 CWEs. So they came out and they're like, hey, we looked through CVEs, we looked at CVSS scores which I can go a whole nother thing about what I think about CVSS scores. If you look at the distribution pattern on them, something's wrong because the score distribution is messed up. But not to get sidetracked on that right now. One day, CW, I want to talk about- Sounds like a part two. CVSS and CWSS one day. Um, anyway, so they created their top 25 list. If you read the details, they actually had them do a lot of data massaging. So they had to make adjustments to CWEs to CVE mappings and some CVSS scores and stuff when they worked through this. Um, I So cross-site scripting being number one, like- Frequency-based. No, oh, sorry. So, yeah, it is. Honestly, yeah. that's a big part of it. Um, so that, anyway, <laughs> whether or not I agree with the list, I was trying to find stuff on the list that might be worthy of being put on the survey that we think might be hard to test for. There may not be data for, or it might be something that we're seeing frequently. 
so then at the end of the day, um, I came down. So this is my proposed list. So I have 14 things in here. Because um, the other thing we have to remember, and I don't want people to forget, is because we picked two from the survey, that also means the only way insecurity serialization and insufficient logging and monitoring stay on this cycle is either A, there's data to support it, or B, the people in the survey support it. Otherwise, they won't stay. And that's just the nature of how it's set up right now. Because um, these are the two that are supposed to be more frequent, right? If that happens. Now, if it's a real problem and we have figured out how to test for it, they'll show up in the data and they may earn a place through the data analysis. But this is my 14 right now. So I also have basically a call. Um, if you go down, if you feel like there's another CWE or some category of CWEs that you think should be on the survey that people vote for, then go open an issue in our GitHub repo and use the label 2021 survey. And that way we can evaluate that and decide whether or not to add that to the survey. Because it's one thing, like I need to ask people vote on the survey, but I also wanna make sure that the survey is representative. I don't want things left off the survey where people are like, well, we would have all voted for this if you had had it on the survey. Yeah, I'm actually curious. Do you have, I'm going to your issues to see if you have a, uh, template for um, like because I, I just not. haven't tried that link. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, I have a label I created. Okay. But, um, no, no, no. I was just gonna like I was gonna basically if you had a template, I was gonna say, uh, do you want to mention which template to use? That's all. Because you know, like you can do like you can choose multiple templates if you've got okay. templates for your issue formats. That's all. That's all. The only reason I brought it up. It's just GitHub nerding out. That's all. <laughs> That's, that's, all. that's why I want to bring it up. If you've got recommendations on how to better GitHub, I'm all for it. Awesome. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got actions. You could probably use that for some auto labeling and then like uh, templates for um, whatever format you'd like to, you know, have people fill it out in. Mm -hmm. um, probably the two main ways I would, I could see it helping there. I don't know. Maybe there's other ways. No, I'll my head. That's good. I'll note that. You know, one that you had on there that's like super interesting because <laughs> I have never seen anyone talk about it, but it drives me up the wall is excessive JavaScript. I don't know if it's on, I don't know if I'd have to zoom in to see if it's on this one, but it was on the previous list you were showing is the, I think it was number 14 on the previous list is like uh, just excessive usage of JavaScript. And I'm like, <laughs> thank you. Because why is that not more of a thing? You know, why is that uh, not discussed? you know, more, I don't, I'm not saying that shops don't, I'm just saying, I don't hear it. I don't see it often something that's like put on a report, right? Like, Hey, why do you have 23 different sites you're calling out to <laughs> with, to, you know, pull in JavaScript, you know, or even three, cause three yeah. could be bad. Like, yeah. So oh, unless there's a ramification of like, you know, you included this widget and there's some vulnerability there, but yeah. Well, well I did see, yeah, I mean, in one of those was like the attack surface, right? Like, so I think that's in your your list is uh, like, what is the attack, the excessive attack surface or something like that, right? So there, there's also this. So inclusion of functionality for untr untrusted control spheres. So that's essentially yes. when you trust other people, you link to their JavaScript that they control. 
Yeah. So that becomes, you lose, you give up parts of control of your website and you trust that whoever had that other code is going to look for out for your best interest. That's yep. insane to me. Like the level that we do that right now. Oh, and yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's extremely excessive. Right? So I'm, I mean, personally, I'm hoping this one wins a place because I would yeah. love to see some of that show up. Ken, go create a bot. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, well, plus, it, it does, you know, it is like for yeah. that, uh, for your excessive tax, tax service you mentioned, item 10. I mean, I could see that that's part, that's, you could make an argument. I guess I'm saying you could make an argument that's saying that the inclusion of this yeah, uncontrolled or untrusted or you're trusting, but you know what I mean? Untrusted, whatever. Like it could be JavaScript. It could be something else you're including and in, it could be one of your packages, whatever. Like that's also extending the attack surface um, and creating an excessive, possibly unnecessary, most often unnecessary attack surface. Oh, I'm, I'm, I need to I'm, stop checking Slack. <laughs> Focus shot. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can absolutely see that being part of like an excessive attack surface setup. But for, for me, like my part, like I geek out toward an architectural side. I'm, I'm much, I think I've never, and I have the thing where I'll tell you, like I've never seen somebody code their way out of a bad architecture, which is why like, as much as I love working on Sam and the program stuff, I also love working on design and architecture. Um, so I've yeah. been doing a bunch of work on the rabbit V pilot. So it's for like non-voting election technology. So it's trying to develop a certification process for technology related to non-voting. So like electronic poll books, um, election night reporting, um, voter registration stuff, basically everything around being able to vote that isn't actually like collection tabulation and whatnot of votes. So one of the things that we did in there is one, we use SAM for process assessment, which is awesome. I love it. Um, and the other is I've been working with somebody else to try and to figure out how to define a rubric and a process to um, measure what is good architecture, what is secure architecture, and then trying to figure out, can we do that? And then can we do that without an onerous level of overhead, right? So even if you go back and read architecture books, I have a bunch of them. They're hard to, it's hard to define a good architecture, even outside of security. Like what constitutes good architecture? Um, because I, I also kind of want to, <laughs> I would love to have something like uh, inconsistency between implementation and documented design or incomplete design documentation or missing documentation for design. I would love to have something more architectural, more design related in the top 10, pulling it up a little bit, but that creates all sorts of havoc for some of these scenarios that the top 10 is used in. Yeah. Like if you're a vendor and you're being measured against the top 10 benchmark, what? <laughs> <laughs> I can't write an automated test for that. <laughs> nope. Well, I mean, it, yeah. it's the same problem that we had with logging and monitoring, right? It's it, it's outside of the test cycle because you're you're into the design, you're into the front end of your SDLC, and the logging and monitoring is kind of the back end there. Mm -hmm. So, like at that point, you've only got like twenty percent of the top ten is something you can't test for. Yeah. So and yeah. so that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So, I mean, it's not built to be like, because if I was going to build it to be for the scenario that's purely this is a benchmark for tools for, for automated testing, then we would have to very specifically pick CWEs that you could actually write tests for. If you wanted to do it as pure awareness and the heck with everything else, then I would see more of the architecture, more of the pre-post code related CWEs. They're more like design related issues. Because I mean, technically, um, insufficient auditing and logging itself is not a vulnerability. Yeah. It's a risk. And that's part of the reason why we have to use the term risks top 10 risks within or risk categories in the top 10, because it's technically not a vulnerability. So we can't call it a vulnerability category. So we kind of split hair, but we're, we're trying to be intentional with it. We're trying to be purposeful with it. Um, yeah. yeah. I, don't know. I think it's the most, uh, I, I think the, it, this is the most transparent that I've ever seen the OWASP top 10 be. And probably the, I would argue likely the most amount of effort that's been put into a, a top 10 and in terms of just the sheer collection dissemination or collection and analysis, massaging of the data and analysis, I should say, um, that I've ever seen in yeah. my time in AppSec. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it was a black box for so long, right? From, you know, my initial days in consulting and, you know, when it first came out as it was just like, oh, this is the top 10 list. And it was like, oh, great. Yeah, like we'll <laughs> run with that. And hey, they updated it again this year. Sweet. <laughs> now we got to go train people on the yeah. new OWASP top 10. Yeah, it was, which is the was old never top, OWASP top 10, but reorganized. <laughs> yeah. Oh, four became five, six became oh. three. It's all good. And that's... I've had people, they're like, well, you need to adopt DevOps model for top 10 and it should change like every six months or it should change. And I'm like, you can't Good luck. because it would get thrown away. Mm -hmm. So the value of a standard is one that actually doesn't change frequently. There right. are a few things you have to be able to have as foundational and the foundational things can't change repeatedly. Then you end up having your foundation on quicksand. So we have to have like a three or four year cycle for this because it, and it honestly, it scares me a little, the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of person hours that will go into pivoting to whatever 10 things we list when we're done. Yeah. Because you look at the number of vendors, the number of documents, the number of trainings. I mean, we're talking about an industry that pivots off of this list of 10 things. And so like it, that's not lost on us. Like the gravity of what is in that list of 10, because that represents a massive investment in the industry to pivot on whatever it becomes. So when we go through and we, we rank things out, if we just had, so whatever was five and whatever was six, if they flip, we might not flip them because the level of effort to actually have to swap those two numbers is way more is more costly than actually having a list with the two numbers swapped. You know, not that I want to bring up more talk of because I frankly don't want to think about it anymore. But <laughs> you had mentioned you had drawn some some lines between uh, you know epi epi epidemiology. <laughs> yes, 
things. Uh, and uh, the, you know, the, the, the work that um, you're doing and it makes sense, right? Because when, you know, people get critical of the fact that like uh, guidance has changed, right? But that's what happens when you're, you're, you're working on small data sets. That's exactly what happens is like you said, like you, you, you see that with this whole COVID thing, which is like, yeah, of course the data changes because like we just had this small amount of time to collect data. Mm-hmm. And so of course you're going to iterate on that. And it makes sense, I guess, what, what you're saying, because yeah, the more time that you have for data collection, the better that, or at least in theory, the, the more solid that data is going to be. Well, yeah. I'm trying to make it as diverse as I can, right? Sure. So everyone has their own perspective. So depending on if you're a consulting company and you do pen tests, depending on who your clientele is, will largely dictate what types of vulnerabilities you see. Because your clientele, the languages they use, the styles of architectures they have, you will have a, um, what's the word? I was going to say premonition, and it's totally (laughs) Well, (laughs) just Seth, Seth, he he says he sees XXC all the time because he's a consultant and he deals with (laughs) enterprise-level orgs. I work with a a Silicon Valley company. We don't have, I mean, I haven't seen XXC and I don't, I can't tell you how yeah. long. So you're right. It absolutely yeah. like your client base totally mm-hmm. technology decisions totally skew one way or the other Yeah. on these. Well, and that's, and so we, we get flack of like, how would, how did you, why would you take this out of the top 10 or why would you add this to the top 10? I always see this or I never see this. Um, and that's because you have a unique perspective based on where you're at, who you deal with, what technology they have, what architectures they use. You will have a set of vulnerabilities you see more often. That's why I try really hard in the data collection to get data from a bunch of different sources to try and get as much diversity in the data as I can to make it more representative. Because if I only get it from four large tooling vendors, then that's a different perspective than if I can get it from people who run internal testing plus consulting companies plus tooling vendors plus bug bounties. That's about as broad as I can get. It's almost like you said you're you're saying that diversity brings in different perspectives <laughs> and it has value. Did, did, didn't we have? Didn't we have a discussion mm. about that? <laughs> I'm pretty sure we did. Weird. Yeah. Even oh. in data, diversity in data is important, even at that. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I even think, right, like, you know, as much as Ken's joking there across like the world getting, you know, getting data from what's being programmed in India versus what's being programmed here or in South America, yep. it's 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 going to reveal different vulnerability data. And it's just as valid, especially for a global top 10 list like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. You know, that's so actually it, like. To expand upon, you know, just something I was thinking about was that, you, you know, you, there is a, I do think that there, cause what you said, Brian, it, it, now it makes me think, yes, data set over time. Great. Except for there are waves of when technology just changes. And now that, that throws out like, I'm, cause Seth and I be, have beaten this horse, this poor horse past death <laughs> way <laughs> into or beaten dust at this point. So like basically what we've talked a lot about is the fact that with SQL, like most frameworks have abstracted away the direct SQL calls in such a way that it's done safely. So we just don't see as nearly the amount of SQL injection as we did 10 years ago. 
And I suspect in 10 years, you know, hopefully, I don't know. You know what? I'm not going to make it. Come on, on, I want to hold you to it. Finish that. No, I'm not doing that. But I suspect in 10 years, there's going to be some class of vulnerabilities to go away is what I'll say. No, no. I hope so. So, yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is there's got to be like a window. Yeah, yeah, right. There's got to be a window of when it's relevant and, and, and like that's enough data, which is obviously why the OWASP top 10 is, you know, updated every few years or I would assume that's one of the major reasons. Well, and um, that's where, yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, stuff changes, technologies change, what languages change. Sometimes we can fix, we can, we have a push to fix the general type of vulnerability. Um, I'd love to see collaboration between like languages or frameworks and we can just say, Hey, this year, we are going to do everything we can as an industry to get rid of this vulnerability category. Yeah. And, and just focus on something. Cause you know, cause right now we're not solving, we're, we're solving little pieces of things year over year. And we're also have a tendency and this is like my soapbox on security. We have a tendency to be incredibly short sighted on what we're trying to fix. We don't yeah. think generationally anymore. And that's part of the reason why like, I'm not full-time industry anymore and I'm teaching is because I want to send out future generations of InfoSec people to go and try and solve the longer running problems. Cause we keep talking about like, we have these problems that haven't been solved in 15 or 20 years. And it's because we're trying to make the next quarterly earnings or we're trying to make, you know, something like that. We're chasing super short timelines and we're not making headway as an industry. Yeah. I mean, I would be happy to, to, I mean, that, that, and that's the thing is like, we, we actually do want this problem solved. It's not like, it's not, I mean, it's not like, uh, oh, well, we won't have jobs or something like that. Like, give me the day that I can cut out 3000 vulnerabilities and maybe one exists or none exists. That'd be amazing. I would be super happy and content to go find another job. That would be amazing. I really don't, I mean that genuinely. I don't care. But like uh, until that day comes, you know, we've got you to categorize and list, you know, <laughs> and for this list to be misused in many different ways. Yes, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, no, no. It's I, I, I don't. I'm that's a joke. But you know, there is a lot of value in, in, in what you do. So you know, thank you for doing it for sure. You're welcome. I mean, it is. It's one of those things that I always get pulled to things like what what can have larger influences on stuff. Like, how right. do we move an industry forward? The top 10, perfect? No. Is it imperfect? Absolutely. Is, is it being asked to do too many different things? Oh, absolutely. But that also tells us, why aren't we trying to fill the niche, niches there? Like, where's the benchmark standard to run all tool vendors against? You know, is it, the t- I mean, right now it's the top 10 because there's nothing better. What about awareness? Well, right now it's the top 10 because there's nothing better. Yeah. You know, standards based. Well, it's the top 10 because there's nothing better. Um, so we have that role we have to play right now. Would I love to have something better that's more custom to each of those? I think we'd be better off in the long run, but it requires a sizable investment to actually pull it off. Yeah. And that's the trouble that we have is, getting people to be willing to make those investments. 
What are the hard timelines for? I think you might have mentioned it. My memory is yeah, famously not great. Uh, so I'm curious, like timeline-wise for people to contribute, what are you looking for? So contribute-wise, oh, right you yeah. basically have a couple of weeks. <laughs> I mean, technically <laughs> you're past the deadline. However, I'm still in the process of ingesting normalizing. So if you send me something, you'll push out my timeline for that slightly, but I'll still be in the middle of it. I'm not to the point where I'm like, please don't send me something because you're going to mess up my flow. Um, yeah. But our goal is, so basically I'm running the survey in parallel. So um, we're also, we'll probably have some tweets and I think a spot in the OWASP newsletter or some kind of marketing push from the foundation itself um, to try and make sure that we have a little bit of awareness on the survey so people can look at it and make any recommendations that might need to be added. And then I'm going to publish the survey. It's probably going to run maybe three weeks, four weeks. Um, and in parallel, I'm going to be working on the data. So that when I have the survey results, I have the data results, and I'm trying to time them together. Um, some are probably around, honestly, late March. Um, okay. it's, it, I'm getting later than I wanted to, but again, I'm still fighting long COVID symptoms, and so that limits to like how many hours a day I can work on things. And my number one priority and commitment is to making sure I put time in the classes for the teaching that I'm doing for students. So um, again, this is still voluntary. So I, I have to set it in its place as important as it is. It's not yeah. a paid gig. If somebody wants to make it a paid gig, I'm not gonna turn you down in any way, shape or form. But right now, um, it is you just- You focus on some health there though. I think yeah. arguably that's the, the bigger picture is, you know, we need yeah. you around, so. So, I mean, End of March, so depending on how much changes, right? So if not a lot changes, it's not a super heavy lift to make updates to the document and get a draft out for people to review. Um, reasonable timeline, probably late May or June right now for an actual release. Okay. Uh, I can see a draft coming out in April, hopefully. Um, but again, it really depends on between the data and the survey how much changes. Like we yeah, I was going to say, I imagine once category. that draft comes up, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I can imagine once that draft comes out, then there's even more work that comes into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's yeah. when it really like, I'm yeah, sure well, it picks well, up. And yeah, at that point, you're going to have to come back on because we're going to, we're going to need to have a discussion about it, right? Like, you know. That's well, fine. Yeah. It, okay. But it, not, yes. not, you know, just from a general Hey, let's you know, let's talk through what the draft is. Like, this is what the data is showing. Why is it? I, I mean, it'd be interesting to definitely to see. I, I'm sure you're already starting to see patterns, right? Um, but and we won't push you on any predictions there, right? And not, well, know. and I don't. Come I on, come on. Where, where, where's your proposal? Up. Like, you know, you got to fight that wall arm. Now, whose feet's goes. getting held to the fire? To the fire. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I get. On one hand, it, it's I see it as a it turned into a positive thing. It forced me to get off my rear. Now I made a project site for it, right? So I needed to. I realized that I need more of a vehicle to be able to communicate with people. So now we have this. We have something that describes it a little bit better. Um, so you know those were good things, um, long nights, but it's all right. We got it. It's there. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
I try really hard not to try and predict what's going to happen because that may taint my analysis. So yeah. I want to look at the analysis. I want to say, what is it going to tell me? I'm not going to try and make it fit some kind of narrative. Yeah. Hmm. And I, I imagine, you know, being know about a, that. A, a third party. <laughs> Is that how right? science works now? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Uh, 2021. We're okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I, like I'm sure coming at it from like a teaching perspective, an academic perspective, and, and I know we appreciated this the first like in the 2017 revision as well. Like taking away the, hey, I want it to fit this narrative and I need specific findings in there or vulnerabilities in that list to, you know, I, that was the big complaint that people had initially with that draft when it came out was where did this come from? It looks like the maintainers are pushing, like even if they weren't, that was the perception. So. Yeah. And then that's really what it boiled down to. Um, yeah. Like, not knowing original intents or anything like that. That was just how it was perceived. Yeah. And that, and getting away from that is great. So yeah, we, I, we really do appreciate it. And I really do want to have you back on when that, when that comes out, because I know it's going to be a discussion point across the industry. It will be. Um, and we'd love to, you know, promote it or however, whatever <laughs> help you need, Brian. From that perspective. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, but I also want to be cognizant of your time today because we're at, you know, an hour and a half, like we're, we're running way over because it's super interesting. I think I we're know. all passionate about it. So plus yeah. Brian's like, you're like one of the, our favorite people to talk to. And it's like, <laughs> yes, we get you so and even, Steph, you know, Steph on, on. It's like, man, yeah. <laughs> we just get going. <laughs> we just get going. Oh, I enjoy it. It's fun. Uh, you know, work, working from home as, you know, solo part-time consultant and then teaching, like being able to sit down and talk to other people in industry, like I highly value it. Because for me, like as a professor, I want to be really careful that I don't go stale. So mm -hmm. I need, from my perspective, I need to continue to be part of things in the industry so that A, I can help give students opportunities so I can try and connect them to different people when they're looking for jobs and such. And then I also need to make sure that like I, as a person am not falling behind on things to where students are like, what is this? And I was like, I have no idea. What are you talking about? That's not in this textbook. Stop messing with me. Well, that's, well I, I always ask that, that you... question when Stefan comes on, but yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Not that you need it, but if you're, you're Seth and I are, we'll, are, we'll put it out that we're, you know, thank you for coming on the podcast. So if, if your students want any advice from us or you ever can get any value out of the things that we do, happy to help in whatever capacity. So awesome. putting that out there. I'm going to pick you up on that. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet. Well, I, I know the conversation's not completely over. But yeah, we do want to be cognizant of your time. Thanks, thanks again for coming on, um, and we'll watch things with great anticipation. Um, we'll, we'll, I'll have Ken make some predictions next week into what's going to be in the OWASP top ten. We'll put out a blog post just to keep the conversation going. I'm going to drink a bunch uh, of whiskey and just make things up. So make crap up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're just dropping cross site scripting because just yeah, screw that. Right? No. Oh, I mean, cross site mass assignment, man. It's the new thing, you guys. Heard coming out. Watch out for it. I still it's remember the top ten that Stefan made one year. What was that? Stefan made a Logi top ten. Logi top ten. That's right. 
Oh, oh. We may need we may need a new Logi top ten prediction. <laughs> that would be amazing Complete with an infographic of some sorts. <laughs> Pretty sure there'll be a unicorn head on it, but just a horse head, something somewhere. like that. Somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> cool. Well, again, Brian, we appreciate it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining and all the discussion today. Find us on Twitter. Join our Slack. And, yeah, we'll see everybody next week. So. Yeah. And, and Brian's um, – sorry, one last thing. Brian's uh, Twitter handle is uh, InfoSecDad, if you're mm-hmm. interested. So, at infosec dad on Twitter. Cool. That's all I wanted to say. Sorry. Thank no, you. All right. Thanks hey. everybody for joining. Thanks, gentlemen. All right. Later. Take care.